Welcome to God Pods, Faith Conversations from Boston College's Church in the 21st Century Center. Hi everyone, I'm Karen Kiefer, Director of the Church in the 21st Century Center here at Boston College, and thank you for joining us for this episode of God Pods. We're going to be talking about the Catholic Parish, taking a look at the landscape, the trends, some impacts, some ideas, and what's next? And who better to do that with than my friend, Dan Salucci, who is the CEO of the Catholic Leadership Institute. Dan, I'm so happy you're here to just- Oh, Karen, thanks so much for having me. It's great to be here. I'm honored to be a part of it. Well, before we kind of uh, really get into this conversation, why don't you share um, a little bit with our listeners and, and viewers about what you do and what your institute does? Sure, sure. So the Catholic Leadership Institute is coming up on 30 years of service to the church. Um, and we were founded really on a, a simple premise, which is that God gives each and every one of us uh, potential and our gift to God is how we use it. And so from the very earliest days, uh, we've always been around helping individuals discover their God-given talent in life and put in the service of the church. Um, and so that's taken many different shapes um, and forms over the years. We started out with young adult ministry, which is how I got involved uh, here in Philadelphia, where we're based. Um, but that's expanded to leadership training of over 25% of the priests in the United States uh, through 100 different dioceses, as well as ongoing formation for our bishops in their governing office of leadership in the church. Um, leadership for lay leaders uh, at the diocesan and parish levels, and now some extensive research in parish life over the last eight years. Um, that's that's pretty exciting. So lots of different chapters in our story, and hopefully many more. Um, but it's been a great blessing. I, I'm just celebrated 15 years uh, with the apostolate uh, this February. So it's been a, a great ride and a wonderful blessing to see the church in so many different corners and uh, so many different aspects. Wow, that's fantastic. You know, for the institute. That would require a lot of forecasting too, kind of really looking ahead and and really taking stock of not only where the parish is, but where is it going so that you can meet the needs and, and help them. Yeah, no, praise God. We, we have always um, prayed a lot <laughs> as an apostolate and also relied on the wisdom and, and leaders in the church and, and beyond. And so um, we've always uh, been really blessed to be listening to what the spirit is is asking of us and then kind of testing that in the marketplace. And so um, whether it's our, our ongoing leadership formation work uh, with our priests or with our bishops, it's always kind of been like right at the edge of, is this something we should do or has nobody has ever done before? And, and, and again, thank God it's, it's worked out uh, and hopefully has borne fruit for the church. So, but it does, it does require really paying attention to the signs of the times and, and discerning that and making sure that uh, we're, we're providing the right level of support uh, at the right time. Mm. Speaking of you know, signs of the times, we're speaking in the midst of the pandemic and um, yeah. the parish looks very different right now. And we're going to get to that, you know, a little bit later. But let's let's look back um, and, and let's look at the landscape of uh, the Catholic parish. And then if you could dig into a little bit of trends and like things that you see happening um, and sure. unpack some of the, the impacts. Yeah, there's, there's, I would say, Karen, there's probably three or four big things that I think everybody uh, probably knows, but also should kind of know maybe a little bit deeper and that we're certainly seeing. 
Um, the first thing is, and, and I think this, this pandemic is, is uh, an eye-opener on this first one, you know, our country is, is approaching and entering into a, a great generational shift all across the country, not just in the church. Um, you know, right now, the baby boomers uh, up until a few years ago were the largest living generation. And so uh, not only are they most populous, but they uh, are doing a lot of the heavy lifting in most of our parishes right now. They, they're giving the most time. They're volunteering a lot in all of our different ministries. And they're also, uh, you know, contributing a lot to the offertory. And so um, the, the generation that follows them, Generation X, uh, is a much smaller numerical base of people. And whereas 60% of our baby boomers are practicing their faith, only about 30% of Generation X is practicing its faith. So as you, you see this kind of shift and, and Generation X comes and takes up that mantle of leadership, um, we're, we're not gonna have the folks in numerically that we've uh, had uh, in our parishes. And, and that's gonna contribute to a real daunting reality. Uh, we've estimated that if we kind of go on the, the lines that we're following right now, and again, this is before COVID-19, uh, that we're, we're looking at losing about 8 million people and about $5 billion to U.S. offertory, um, you know, in, in the next, you know, 15, 20 years. Uh, and again, who knows what this pandemic will, will exacerbate. So we, we can't, uh, I think, assume one of the trends is we can't just assume that the next generation is going to be there and ready to kind of take up the mantle. We really have to go out and invite them. My, my generation, I'm the first year of the millennial generation. Um, was uh, up until a, a while ago the largest living generation and now succeeded by my children. But, uh, but again, our faith practices are, are looking more like Gen X than they are uh, baby boomers. So there's opportunity now with millennials and, and Gen Z, but we, we can't wait for that uh, opportunity. We got to really seize on that. So that generational shift, I would say, is one big landscape trend that I think really is, is huge for our parishes. Um, another one that I think is is really important um, is is our our difficulty in passing on the faith. Um, you know, our our Catholic schools, our religious education programs, uh, really good work and good effort that has gone in over the years. Those are based on those institutions and structures and approaches are based on a set of assumptions that are no longer necessarily true. Um, you know, the, the Catholic school was never meant to replace what I as a parent do. It's really meant to augment it. But if our parents aren't real confident in their faith and then they're not passing it along, we can't you know, put that all on our school principals or school teachers um, and they're having finding a harder time. Uh, and likewise, the same is true with religious education programs. So we're seeing that uh, as we look at our research and other research that's out there from Pew that belief in things like the Eucharist or the teaching authority of the church, uh, those things are suffering not only from recent crises, although those, those certainly play a role, but also just this kind of not adapting or evolving our structures to meet kind of the current reality in passing on the faith. The third big uh, kind of landscape trend that I would point to is, is leadership. Um, you know, our research would show that a parishioner in the United States is 11 times more likely to recommend their parish if they like their pastor. Um, look, CEO of Catholic Leadership Institute, I believe leadership is really important, but 11 times, I mean, it dwarfs everything else that's out there. And I think that's unhealthy. Uh, our parishes are our communities. They're not based in one man. They're based in the Lord <laughs> and they're based in our communal responsibility to each other and to the faith. And so I think we need to really work. And this is some of the stuff we try to help pastors with that, that real authentic co-responsibility and, and, and uh, you know, delegation to the laity so that we have greater ownership over our faith and we don't put everything on father's shoulders. Um, you know, and lastly, I, I, I think uh, just, 
you know, all of the different trends that we're seeing. I mean, this, again, this, this crisis that we're in with COVID-19, you know, some parishes doing much better with new means and new methods uh, than others and ready for something like this versus not. So uh, all those things I think are coming into play and, and have um, both big consequences and big opportunities for our parishes in the United States. You know, you start to think about declining vocations. So, um, you know, that's that's hitting at the parish level. Then you're thinking of um, declining sacraments, you know, um, young kids that simply aren't making their confirmation or, yep. or maybe not even their first Holy Communion or reconciliation. And then, of course, marriage. Um, yep. Sacrament of marriage. I mean, you know, it's just there. There are so many challenges, and and I just, you know, do leave it to the hope of the Holy Spirit. You know, that we can kind of move things forward. And then, of course, um, in a beautiful way, the gift of Hispanic Catholicism, um, and the multicultural parishes that are that are booming. You know, um, so they're our future. Yeah, well, and I, I think one of the things that I've been, you mentioned, kind of uh, the Latino church, and, you know, we just finished the Encuentro uh, here in the United States. And one of the big blessings I think that we can take um, as, a, as a universal church from, from Latino church is this, this uh, kind of appreciation for the journey. I think in our Western kind of American culture, we're very, I know I am very uh, results driven, uh, you know, what are we doing? right now to impact what, um, you know, bottom line. And I, and I think what the gift that the Latino church in my experience has, has always brought to me and reminded me of is that there's value in the process, there's value in the journey. And I think, I think that that has special ramifications for our church. I think, you know, when I, when in our research of parish life, it's not necessarily one particular program or service or, or initiative that that's the silver bullet. It's really a, a culture of appreciation for different gifts and talents and, you know, a patience for things to unfold, but also a, a constant walking forward. And I think that's, that was certainly the spirit of the Encuentro and, and certainly I think one of the lessons I took out of it. Well, you know, also an appreciation for um, in religion as a generational gift you know, um, and, and honoring that kind of handing on the faith. I mean, I'm not saying it's across the board that happens with young people, but it's certainly very much a part of, of their tradition in the way that yeah. they practice, you know? Yeah, yeah, no, for sure. It's beautiful. You know, I grew up in the 60s and the 70s, and um, aside from my parents, like the parish raised me. You know, it was just so central. And just trying, having four daughters now um, between the ages of 25 to 19, you know, the, they don't need church, you know? Yes, do they do they go to church and do they, they practice, but they practice in their own way. And that's really challenging. Really yeah. Challenging and frustrating as a parent. <laughs> no, it is. And I, I think one of the things that I would lift up just kind of, made me think of what you just you mentioned and, and certainly I think about it with my own children, but uh, you know, I, I'm not sure that, that when we look at the millennial generation and certainly Gen Z, Gen Z, especially, um, I don't know that it's that they have outright rejected religion or faith. I think it's that in the best sense, they've never had an experience of it in many cases. And so, so I, I think one of the things that, that I've learned and that I would, I would certainly implore everybody else to kind of keep in mind is sometimes we make assumptions like, they don't want it or or they don't need it they might not even know what it is um and so and, and so they're not necessarily making a conscious decision to move away from it uh they just 
either their parents or, or, you know, down the line, it just hasn't been um, passed on and talked about. And, and I, you know, I, I, my parents uh, sent me to a Catholic school. Uh, They, they brought us to mass every Sunday, but I I would say, I think uh, we didn't really talk about it as much as a family. Uh, It wasn't that it was kind of a part of Sunday and we did it and it happened. And, and um, I was blessed though. I had grandparents who did talk about it. I think when I look at, at some of the variables for me, um, as opposed to maybe some of my friends, I, I really do point to my grandparents kind of really articulating and making it a more an everyday part of life that I could appreciate it and, and yearn for it. I, I do think also what's, you know, we'll talk more about COVID-19, but I think, I think there might be a moment for us to, to reclaim that a bit in, 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 this, uh, in this global crisis. So. Yeah, let us let us hope. I um, thank you for bringing up the the power of the grandparents, you know, yeah. um, and and sharing their stories and sharing their faith. I mean, they might not be going to mass with um, you know their grandchildren for whatever reason, but they can certainly um, tell them how much their faith means to them. And and yeah. you know that that's a that's a strong influence over them. And you know, working at Boston College and talking to a lot of young people, you know, it really is beautiful um how they speak about the their grandparents and and you know their their love of their, their catholic faith yeah well and going back to the multicultural reality of a lot of our parishes a lot of a lot of different uh cultural communities they they are they are having more blended communities blended households in the sense that in, in many cases uh, just out of necessity or out of desire grandparents are living with families and helping in uh the child care and and helping and raising um, their grandchildren more and more. Uh, again, some of that is out of economic reality. Some of that is out of cultural, uh, cultural appreciation for grandparents. And I think you see um, in those communities uh, that, that continued fostering um, of the faith and, and a really important role for grandparents that I think we can all uh, lift up. Mm. Going back to your comment about the generational shift, and then also maybe some young people haven't grown up with the, the, the tradition, you know, yeah. I mentioned my oldest is 25 and she was um, just making her first communion when the sexual abuse crisis broke in Boston. Just unbelievable to see how many families just, you know, disappeared from the pews, you know, and, and to your point, um, you know, they didn't, they, they didn't grow up. up So um, they don't think they need it, but then, so you studied, um, and researched parishes for so long and um, and worked with so many parishes. Like, what makes an effective parish? Yeah, good question. Well, and, I, and, and I'm sure there's some, uh, a lot of people over my pay grade who could answer this better, but I think we have, we have been on this quest to try to isolate some of the things because what's interesting is our, our research, um, uh, our formal research, I would say, certainly we have 30 years of, of anecdotal or field research that we would point to, but um, our formal research began about eight years ago, and, and I think to date now we have one of the studies on parish life, you know, uh, probably in the country, maybe even in the world. Uh, we have over a thousand parishes uh, that we've surveyed parishioners, um, almost a quarter million parishioners in the United States and Canada. And so uh, 30 some different dioceses now. Um, and, and we looked for, uh, we asked parishioners about their feelings toward the parish and what's helping them engage with the parish. But we also ask about where the parishioner is in their faith life so we can get a sense of who's responding. It's translated into 12 different languages. So we're getting a really you know, wide uh, swatch of, of who's coming to mass. 
in on this quest because what's been interesting to us is that while uh, while we have these downward trajectories on the parish landscape in the aggregate, we've seen certain parishes kind of um, bucking those trends. Uh, and so it's obviously asked us to, to kind of answer why is that mm. uh, and, and what's making those parishes stand out. So we've done kind of a deep dive on the, the parishes that have really risen to the surface. And, and we uncovered kind of four key factors um, that we're still really digging into, but I think uh, make sense um, intuitively. They makes they are true in these parishes. Um, they look a little different in all these parishes, but but I think these these four factors are really what keep coming up. Um, and so, number one, um, I think fundamentally these parishes um, recognize that even the people in the pews who are coming are not all at the same place. Uh, we can't just take for granted that because somebody's coming to mass on Sunday that that means they're kind of all in, they're ready to go, we can count on them for anything. Um, and I think they really have an intentionality with which they view the people in the pews. And, and so they have kind of a segmented strategy toward how they help people grow in the faith. They, they, they really see people in different segments and, and they really focus on, um, in all of their efforts, in the way they staff, in the way they do programming, um, in the way they do outreach and evangelization, they, they have kind of different entry points they meet people where they're at and then they help them take that next step. Um, but it's kind of a shared understanding of looking at your community and really being in touch with where they are, who they are and what they need. Um, and not just kind of a one size fits all or throwing spaghetti at, at the wall. Now that's hard to do for parishes because uh, it, yeah, it takes a lot of thought. It takes a lot of uh, sophistication. Um, but, but, but we've also seen it kind of, it's, it's not necessarily always so formal or technical Sometimes it's like an intuition that has kind of, uh, and it's, it's really important though, because I think that's, that's a gospel message is kind of meet people where they're at right. and move, move them along the journey, right? But that takes time. It does, and, and patience is the other thing. That's right, Karen. I mean, you can't, uh, you're not gonna have overnight, uh, you know, instant success. And also it's really a kind of one-to-one -one ground game um, where you're really being very mindful of, of that one-to-one -one outreach. So. But that's huge. That's been a huge factor. The second big one, which is near and dear to our heart, is a really healthy culture of shared leadership. And so um, certainly the pastor has an important role and, and he, he exercises that role and he understands that role, uh, but he shares that role, uh, you know, responsibly and authentically. And so um, whether it's if he's blessed to have a, a, a big professional staff, great. Uh, but even if he's not, he, he gives the same care to those key volunteers and key collaborators of really pouring into them, supporting them, being uh, behind them, and forming them in a, in a shared vision uh, for this community, and, and then stating and articulating that vision for the future. Uh, so a lot of the work we do is helping parishes really articulate that and set some goals uh, for the long term so that they can kind of move toward that and see progress. So that shared leadership is a really big one. Uh, the third one is is excellent and intentional celebration of the Sunday Mass, of, of the weekend experience, right? Um, you know, hymns, homilies, uh, hospitality. You're going to gather 90% of your people who are coming uh, on those opportunities, hopefully, in any given weekend. And, and you want to make sure you put your best foot forward, uh, not only for customer relations, but also because we say it's the most important thing we do as Catholics. So why wouldn't we put our best foot forward? And so... Uh, what, certainly that's that's preaching um, and, and father or deacon uh, preparation for that. Certainly that's uh, the hospitality and, and not just having a welcoming committee, but again, a real 
culture of hospitality. Um, and, and then, you know, quality music. And we, we haven't seen just one style of worship. That is, again, the answer. What we've seen is, regardless of the style, it's done well. It's done intentionally. And everybody knows what they're doing. And it's, as I said, it's kind of, uh, they put all their eggs in that basket in some ways to make sure that it's a really quality experience. Um, the, la the last factor, I think, is the hardest for us to get our hands around. Um, as Catholics, and it and it it has the most, I think, also diversity in what we've seen parishes how they've been really creative with it, and that's having this sense of a missionary impulse, like talks about, which is a realization that you know in canon law, um, a, a pastor and a parish has care not just for the people who come. We have care for all the souls in the territory. Literally, every single person is our responsibility. That's how we're supposed to look at it. And, and so we all, we certainly need to feed those who come, but we also always have to have an eye towards those who are not coming and those who we haven't reached yet. And, and so the parishes that we've seen that are bucking these trends really have a good awareness of where they are located, this time and this place. Um, you know, if they're in the inner city, they understand that and they, they have a, they're very tuned into the needs. Uh, if they're in the suburbs, they understand that. Um, and so and, and they, they, they really imbue that in their people, in their, their outreach. Uh, so it really fits the location and honors the people who they're trying to serve. Um, and it, they kind of recognize that coming to church is only half, half discipleship. The other half is going out uh, and making disciples. And, uh, and these parishes do that in some fun, fun and creative ways. You know, thinking about those um, markers you know, for an effective parish, it also really begs the question, you know, sometimes an effective parish is only effective for so long, right? Maybe it's the pastor, but then now there's, you know, two or three parishes that are merging and now the pastor is moving here, there and everywhere. Or in, in, in my case, in, in our parish, we had this magnificent pastor who was with us for 10 years and he was so good at what he did. And, and he reminded me like he belonged to the community. He went to the high schools. He, he, went, he also he saw needs and he ended yeah. there and, and he had great homilies and, and he was so open to leadership and just so welcoming and, and bringing people in. And then what happened is they moved him to another kind of triage parish after, you know, time yeah. of And then you know what happens and so then you start to lose people and then the, the, the cycle begins again yeah oh you know i mean and this is another i mean that 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 11 times factor is what you're describing right there right and so what we're trying to do is look at and what we did in our research was try to actually um in some ways look for the parishes where and i say this with kind of all all respect and charity where the pastor was uh, the most dynamic kind of superstar, you know, guy. And, and in the sense that, uh, because we were looking for models where it wasn't all on his shoulders. Um, and, and because it really should be on our shoulders too, right? And so, um, and, 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 so and we found some of those. Uh, it was interesting. One of the parishes we, we researched, um, again, not, not a, necessarily an overly uh, dynamic, charismatic type of pastor, but, but one of the things that people, all the people recognized when we talked, when we did some focus groups and interviews, this is in the inner city. They said, um, they said, you know, we see him walking around the, the city block that the parish is on and picking up trash. Um, and they said, and, and that, that uh, care for our home yeah. is what we've kind of all adopted. 
that this is our home and we need to care for it. So, so certainly it was his example, but a very quiet, humble example. Um, you know, his homilies aren't the best, like his, his you know, but, but, but they know that he cares. Um, they know that they care about him and, and, and they, now they care about uh, their community more because of that model. And, and so now it's become kind of a community value uh, and I think those are where we see, that's why we, we, again, we spend a lot of time with parishes trying to articulate and really nail you know, who are we as a community so that um, a pastor who comes in can appreciate that and become a part of that. It's not just who is this guy and, and, and how he defines our community. Let's talk about transformation in some of those parishes. And, um, you know, you're, you're working with the parish, they have lots of challenges. Like how long does it take to revitalize a parish? Mm -hmm. I know every parish is different, but sure. can you share with us maybe some stories of that transformation? Just curious. Yeah, absolutely. And it's been, you know, we've been blessed to work with so many parishes in, in so many different settings and in so many different ways that we've gotten to work with them. I would say that the really encouraging thing to me is that um, we've seen a lot of parishes, I would say, revitalized or renewed in as short as two or three years. Um, and I think it, I think it takes probably at least that, uh, in, in my experience, at least two or three years. But, but I think it can easily happen in three years. Um, and and in many cases, it might take longer. Um, one parish in in uh, rural Oklahoma um, that was in a uh, kind of booming suburban area of the state uh, and of the of the diocese but was just really not capitalizing on um on what uh on what they could be and and particularly in a place like oklahoma you have a lot of uh, evangelical churches that are very aggressive and very savvy uh in in you know trying to reach uh congregants and so um this parish did a hard look at itself it it, it did use our disciple maker index survey the the instrument that i was telling you about that where we've done a lot of our research and, and really identified that while the core group that were really uh, very committed to the parish and had been there a long time, while they were really rock solid, in some ways they were almost like too rock solid. <laughs> it was almost impossible to become a part of that community uh, because of just, just uh, their experience and their history. And so they made a really big push on hospitality. They added things like uh, childcare to, um, to most of their events because what, who was moving in were a lot of young families. And so, um, you know, for, for young parents who are looking for a break in the week or looking for something to do on Friday night, they really saw that as a huge opportunity and put in place resources uh, to do that. They also made some changes to parish staff. Uh, there were some folks who were not willing to go in that direction and, and they needed to um, make some changes. And that's a really hard reality um, because, you know, everybody's trying to do their best, but sometimes uh, we need to, we need new strategies, and if people aren't willing to try those, we might need some new people uh, to to try them. So they made some staffing changes, um, and then they really looked at um, at hospitality from a physical plant standpoint. And so there was there were just some limitations to their their campus. It was it was kind of had all the right potential, but it wasn't really used. So they they did a mini capital campaign and, and really changed the space to be a lot more welcoming. Um, and to kind of foster what they were trying to do culturally as well. And, and in, in three years time, uh, you know, they, they doubled uh, the size of that parish. Uh, the, their offertory went through the roof. The school, which is a regional school, grew exponentially um, and, and continues to grow. And, and, um, and there was lots of really good lay leadership put in place 
on a lot of different fronts volunteer wise. Um, that was so good. Um, and so uh, that would be one that I would point to. There's also another one in, in Florida um, that we've been blessed to work with more recently. And the, the, the pastor really took um, our envisioning process, uh, our strategic planning process for the parish and just used it as an opportunity for healing um, for the parish. They had been through a lot uh, prior to him coming. Um, but what he did was he really rooted their strategic planning process in listening and in praying and, and, um, and imbuing in the culture of the parish this idea that, uh, that there, this is a journey and that we all got to be on it together and we all got to pray together and we all got to listen to each other. And, and um, you know, we've seen double digit growth in, in their mass attendance and their offertory in the last two, two years. Um, so it's just, it's amazing to me. One of the things that kind of both excites me and frustrates me at the same time is it, in our Catholic parishes, um, a little bit goes a long way. And so, so there's really some, what I would call low hanging fruit of things we could do to put in place uh, simple things like, you know, Karen, and I'm sure you, you've heard this um, and, and, but like, a young couple calls your parish office looking to get married. And in most parishes in the United States, the, what are they greeted with on the other end of that phone? Are you registered, right? And maybe we could start with a nice human uh, response, like congratulations <laughs> that, that's great, that you're getting married, right? Yeah, just, just celebrate the moment, right? And so, um, so I think that, you know, sometimes we just lose sight of how those little things go so far creating a culture or, or dismantling a culture, you know? I mean, I also think about, I try to tell pastors a lot, you know, the most valuable thing they might do in a week are actually funerals. And, and, and it's my hope and prayer that they recognize that their care um, and the parish's care of those folks during that difficult moment um, is, is just so, so important uh, to somebody's experience of the faith, right? You know, um, going back to what you said about young families and investing, you know, in, in care, the care of young families, think about it. You have a young family in the pew. They have one or two children. So you ask what their needs are and, and they become part of the community. Think about it down the road. Maybe their kids end up going to Catholic school. They're going to make their first communion, their first reconciliation, their confirmation. Maybe they'll, you know, as young adults, they'll end up you know, teaching, uh, you know, autism, whatever, but th that is such an important thing to do. Invest, yeah. invest, invest, and, and, and picking up on the, the hospitality that, that, yeah, we, that, that parish in Oklahoma that I was mentioning, they, they have a little, uh, they call it, I think it's like a wiggle card, but it's in their pews and it, and every, and, and again, this takes effort and it takes discipline, but every, every week there's a little card and, and a little thing of crayons and it has a nice, very encouraging note to young families. Um, and it has uh, a little kind of very simple kind of this is what this is what we're hearing from God today and asks the kid to draw a picture right there and to put it in the offertory. Mm. Now, it sounds simple, but here's the deal. A, I always forget something for my three year old to do at church. B, you know, to, that they thought of me and that they want me there. Uh, and my screaming three year old goes a long way. Yeah. And there's a role for the three-year-old to play or the six-year-old to play to, to do something, to, to put it in the basket, to have a part in this community uh, from day one. And so, again, these little touches, I think, are just, uh, I think, are what go the distance. And I think we can all do them. I think that's what's exciting about it. It just takes, it just takes some creativity. Um, you know, we, we've seen another parish, I know of another parish that sends out 
kind of happy anniversary cards on uh, anniversary of, of a baby's baptism oh. or uh, on the first Holy Communion. And again, it, the baby's not necessarily reading the card, but the parents are, are kind of, oh, you've, you've thought of us um, and, and how nice of that. And, and so I, I just think those things, that's who we are. That's, that's the type of people that uh, we are as Catholics and we can do that in so many different ways. You know, um, creativity, I, I'm a believer of it. And, and, you know, using our imagination to connect with God. And I think we have seen that over the past month with COVID-19. My goodness, sure. And if you had ever said to me, you know, six years ago, oh, we're going to drive through conditions or, you know, adoration in the church parking lot. I would have said that's never going to happen. But what a beautiful gift from the Holy Spirit at a really, really challenging time. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. And I, I, you know, I think what has been so encouraging to me is is the yearning to unleash that and to take advantage of that. I mean, we we found my wife works at our uh, our parish and and she's been kind of on the creativity team uh, during this month. And and the gratitude of the people. Uh, again, just from a relational standpoint, um, just being grateful to be kept in mind and to be connected with people. Um, you know, this is what this is what the church provides. I mean, think about it. We're 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 the only religion really in the world uh, that has a, a a ritual that no matter what language you speak or where you are, you can walk into a church and participate instantly. Like that sense of of connectedness and universality is what makes the church special. Uh, and so I think I think we're seeing that in new ways um, now, and I think it's 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 one of the great gifts out of all of this hardship that's that's coming out in this pandemic. You know, I, I wake up every morning and and I'm I'm searching for you know all the new ideas that are out there. You know, in in a beautiful way. Like I think about the the pastor in that French parish who basically said to all his parishioners, "Send me a selfie of yourself yeah. and print it out," and then he tapes the pictures of all his parishioners on the pews because obviously they can't be a church. I mean, that was just brilliant and beautiful and welcoming and, and, and also contagious because now other pastors are doing that. Right. That's right. And, masses and, oh. and, and I think the other beautiful part about that is that it seemed to me, at least from what I read and, and followed the news are very authentic. And I think that's, when, when, you know, people, again, talking about the millennial generation earlier, we did a, a lot of study on that um, for one of the sessions we were putting together for bishops and, and the millennial generation, you know, they're looking for, you know, three things. Um, and, and I think we're all looking for this, but I, I think particularly this, this next generation, if you will, of, of leadership, looking for authenticity, right? And so um, our, our crises in the church that have, have happened have really taken a, a stab at that in a big way. And it's really important that that our leaders, um, it, whether they be at the parish or at the diocese, whether they be clergy or lay, are really authentic um, in you know uh, in, in being that witness. They're, they're looking for relationship. You know, I mean, I think I think what's so interesting is <laughs> my kids who are you know we're we're pretty protective about the screen time, and and now they've had been on screens you know for a month because of learning in school and stuff, and they're tired of screens. Yeah. Like they, they want their friends back. You know, and 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 I think. That yearning for real relationship um, is, is certainly what our young people want. And again, we we know relationship in the church, right? We're all about relationship and and impact. The third thing millennials want is impact. And, and again, uh, who has better impact or potential for impact than than the church? And and so 
I think we just have to, we really have to lean on our strengths and, and what we're, what's core to who we are uh, as a faith community. And I think that that's going to, that, that's going to be the best uh, remedy for everything. Yeah, I know in, in my conversation with um, a lot of students, like they want to be part of something that they can still um, put their mark on, you know, and they're trying to feel out um, what, what that looks like. And, and maybe, maybe this is what that looks like, you know, mm-hmm. um, but it's, it, it, I also think too that during this pandemic, there's just this need, this, that we realize that we can, we need each other. And yeah. we need God. We need God's protection and God's healing. And the need is is there. Um, and for for all, for everyone to see and to feel, you know, which again is another grace. Another yeah. Grace. Well, it was interesting to me. I, my my wife and my staff were laughing at me because um, I love the movie Sister Act too. So I'll just put it out there. It's a it's a classic movie. And anyway, there is uh, the the last song of that movie. You should check it out if you're home uh, looking for something to watch, everybody. But um, uh, the, the the there's a beautiful rendition of Joyful Joyful at the end of that. And and a niece of mine, um, who I would say is not necessarily particularly close to the church. Uh, she's kind of like a lot of folks in that kind of college post college age. Uh, but she sent me uh, a video of two different pop stars singing that song on Instagram. Uh, you know, each of them, I think it was like Pink and somebody else, but each of them had millions and millions of followers watching these folks sing a song of joy to the Lord. And it, and it was very authentic. This song means something to them. And, and so I, I just think, you know, it, it's, it's not, um, to me, it's not coincidence that in a moment of difficulty where people are kind of forced to rely on what's important to them, that, that folks are singing about the Lord and putting it out there to millions of people. And I think that's, I think that's beautiful. And so I think we shouldn't be afraid um, uh, to do that as parishes. Uh, we should be, and we should be authentic about it, about the way that we do it and the way that we can do it. Yeah. And you know, you, you um, had mentioned in one of your articles about um, the church suffering from a, a attachment you know mm. anxiety or attachment disorder yeah. and i think you know you can talk about just a little bit but there's such a spirit of openness now that yes. we're attached to, to to anything except each other and, yeah. you know and that's that's a beautiful thing yeah well i know you're right and and i think it's one of those other landscape factors you know we we um, we've been kind of trained and formed to be about our parish right uh, you know we we have a joke here in philadelphia that like if Jesus were come to, to come to the neighboring parish, I wouldn't go because it's not my parish. <laughs> you know, like, it's like it's we've been so trained and formed to be about our parish in some good ways, but in some bad ways that any time something's we seem like something's being taken away, whether it's a mass time or something, we kind of we can go ballistic. And and certainly there's a one of the things we do in our leadership training is to help parishes and, and pastors and bishops understand that there is a certain respect and dignity that you have to give to change and help people through that. But at the same time, um, at the same time, we can't always go about the same way uh, that we've been doing it. And so, you know, think about that. Uh, How many parishes would have never thought about changing their mass time schedule? God forbid, you know? And it's like, I I know for, I would speak for myself, like I would be grateful for a mass at any time of the day now, you know, and, and I'll make it work. Uh, And I think, you know, what we, what we've seen and had the blessing to see in our work is that, you know, we've been places in the world uh, and even in this country where where 
where a, a, a Catholic could go three weeks without mass. And that's not based on COVID-19. That's based on availability of a priest or, or geographical distance to travel. And, uh, and, and now we're all kind of facing and experiencing that. And I think it's, I, I hope that we will emerge from that with an appreciation of what is really most core and important. Um, and can we, can we have some more flexibility around uh, the, the structures that they, they as, as Pope Francis says, that they kind of meet the missionary need uh, and we don't just look at them from a self-preservation or maintenance standpoint. And, and hopefully too, that um, it'll change the way that people look at prayer. And again, being open to what that looks like. And I think back at our parish, you know, Monday nights, you know, there's six women that pray the rosary. And now we have these movements on online and on Instagram. I think of, you know, one Hail Mary at a time where they're trying to get a million people to pray the rosary. Yeah. Social media, how beautiful. I mean, we could do a whole God pod, Dan, just on parish life and social media, but yeah. we don't have time for that. But, you know, tell, tell us a little bit more too um, about your project um, called For More, because I find that fascinating. Yeah. So we, um, as I said, as we've been doing research in parish life, one of the things we, we identified, we certainly knew it, um, uh, instinctively, but we we kind of proved it statistically was the importance of the pastor, right? And as as I said earlier, while I think that that is a healthy, unhealthy kind of proportion of emphasis put on one person, even if he is the leader, it, nonetheless we can't we can't dispute the fact that 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 decision that a bishop will make is one of the most important decisions as to who he's going to assign where, and not only the decision, um, Karen, but I think the transition and how how we care for both the pastor or the new pastor and the community during times of transition. And so the Lilly Endowment has had a great um, program out there thriving in ministry and, and they had a focus on actually how to support uh, ministers in transition. And so we applied for a grant uh, to try to say, could we look at the way that priest personnel assignments are happening uh, in the Roman Catholic Church and, and devise a better way or augment that, that process because what we were hearing from uh, bishops and, and pastors and, and certainly communities where it doesn't seem like we're using a good system to figure this out. And certainly there's a lot of good thought and, and a good effort that goes into it, but the reality is it's, it's not very sophisticated. Um, and it's often done in a, in a somewhat emergent or urgent fashion because somebody gets sick or somebody's removed and, 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 and that's life. Um, and, and we're limited by, by the number of vocations, but, our, our quest was to say, could we help under, the priest understand himself better? And could we help the community understand itself better and the bishop understand both better to actually see if we could align gifts and talents with needs of community a little bit more? And so, um, so we have some brave dioceses uh, uh, piloting it with us. And, and our goal is to, to pilot it in 15 different dioceses. We have our first four or five uh, kind of lined up and, and undergoing it literally as we speak. Um, and all those priests are going to take an inventory on their gifts and talents and, and, um, and do some reflection about their passions and perspectives on ministry. Uh, and then we're doing a, a deep dive on all the parishes in those dioceses. And, and then we're building some technology that will help us kind of look at alignment and possibilities, not only to say who might be the best fit for this assignment, but also if Father Dan is going to be moved to, to St. Mary's, what does Father Dan need by way of support in order to be effective? Uh, and fruitful in his ministry, um, and, and for him to really understand St. Mary's before he gets there, at least in, in some way. 
uh, can we help them? Because what we hear from a lot of pastors is they walk in and they have no information. So they're kind of flying blind. So of course they kind of do things that irk people and get people, you know, um, uh, freaking out about different things. And, and, and what we're trying to do is build self-awareness for the priest and build, build community awareness for the community and the priest uh, so that we can help in that transition. So we're pretty excited about it um, because again, it's, it's not ever really been done that to that level, I think in the church before, and, and we're hoping to learn a lot. Um, but, but we just think there's, there's a lot of information out there that, um, you know, doesn't take away from discernment. Discernment doesn't mean, you know, not using data or it, it means prayerfully kind of considering all the inputs, right. And, and what the spirit is might be saying through those. So we're trying to add to the inputs and make that accessible for all different levels of leadership uh, in our church and help communities really understand themselves so they can, um, you know, really be as effective as possible. And so for people um, listening to this God pod or, you know, that might be interested or want to learn more, they can find out more information on your website. Yeah. And then also, um, you know, this is a, did you say a five-year process or? Yeah, the, our, our Lily uh, grant was for five years, um, and and we hope to expand it beyond that part. But the pilot is a five-year pilot, so we're gonna. Our goal is over five years to reach about fifteen different dioceses. Um, so we're kind of gonna add and and refine as we go. And I'm grateful for uh, the folks in Lansing and Tulsa and Milwaukee and Savannah. I just want to call them out there because they they're brave enough to try something, and I think. Right. Uh, so those priests and and bishops and and lay leaders, I, I I give them thanks because I think you know trying trying different things, um, trying new means and methods, um, and and you know working out the kinks and not knowing how to work, I, I give them a lot of credit and we're grateful to partner with them. But yeah, people can go to our website, uh, catholicleaders.org, and um, and you know send in or send an email to info at catholicleaders.org uh, and ask any uh, questions that they have. We love I love to respond to those so. Um, um, certainly welcome any questions or, or requests for more information. That's great. You've worked with so many different parishes and of course there's a tremendous um, focus on young people um, and they are the future of our church. And um, have you come across um, any surprises or any programs or anything that um, churches are doing for young people that's really working and serving as a catalyst to get them, you know, back into the pews or, or, or practicing their faith? Again, just, just curious. Yeah, you know, it's a good question um, because I think, I, I would tell you, Karen, I think we talk about young people a lot. I'm not sure we actually focus on them a lot. <laughs> and, I, and I say that to say, you know, if we look at, um, at you know, our, our Catholic schools or religious education programs, um, again, a lot of really good people working very hard, but I'm not sure we've adapted those models very much to, to try to um, kind of meet learning needs. So, so I would say the thing that I find that seems to be bearing the most fruit, and I don't, I don't have, I'm looking for to get quantitative data on it, but um, I would say kind of qualitatively, I think um, family-based uh, formation and catechesis and evangelization to me is what, is what makes the difference. Um, and the reason is because um, we, we, our parishes and our schools, as I said earlier, um, they were never meant to replace the family, right? And so um, they were always meant to support all of us and our families. And so I think what we have to do is help families be families. Um, and I think part of where the church, the institutional church, um, 
uh, falls short sometimes is that we try to make the family like the institution as opposed to the institution like the family. Mm. And I think the parishes and, um, and, and dioceses that I've seen really kind of hitting it out of the park are the ones that kind of really adopt that, that if, if you're trying to reach young people, that family lens of saying um, kind of what are all those stresses and what are all those demands and what are all those barriers uh, and what are all those opportunities and what, what do families look like today? Because they don't look like what we thought they used to look like. Uh, they, they come in a lot of different shapes and sizes. We talked about blended families and, and grandparent families. And, and, um, and so are we really gearing our strategies toward what families look like? Um, or are we hoping they fit a mold as to what we would want them to look like? And, and, um, and the reality is if we want to reach them, we got we to go to where they are. So I think what I've seen is um, there's certainly, you know, great youth ministry programs out there, but I think engagement of the whole family um, is where I think it sticks most uh, because the parents then can kind of be a part of it, reinforce it, um, get, get pulled in more themselves. Uh, and, and the parish starts to become kind of that center of life where instead of young people, as you said at the, the top of our conversation, instead of people saying like, I don't need a parish, people say, I really love my parish or I really feel connected to my parish or my parish really supports me in times of need. Um, and so I think, I think it's gotta be a family affair for if we're gonna reach our young people. That's a really good reminder. And, and also to um, let us not underestimate the power of education. To, for young people to say, hey, would you be interested in teaching religious education? Or would you right. be interested in serving in this way? Or would you be interested in, in heading this up, you know? Um, well, and, and, and also I think, Karen, on long, along those points, kind of making space for them to lead. And, and by that, I mean, um, a lot of times what we say is like, let's get, you know, uh, the, the youth group to, to stuff envelopes for us or stuff the bulletin. It's like, Okay, that's good. Like they get help with that, but but at a certain point, a kid doesn't want to just stuff a bulletin. Um, they they want they want a chance to be creative, and so it's like we we have to um, you know we have to be responsible, but we also have to to give some room for them to bring out creativity, you know, in, in us. I I heard an interesting story of a corporation back when social media was like just starting, and and this big big huge corporation who had millions and millions of dollars to spend on a digital strategy. They basically got like 20 college students, gave them an internship, you know, fed them a bunch of pizza um, and told them they could put the, the company's name on their, their resume and told them like, Here, here's your sandbox. Now go to town. Whatever you want to do, go to town, uh, stay within these parameters and just be creative. And that's how they launched their social media kind of outreach. It, it, and, and I think we could do the same with the church. I think, I think there are young people have so many talents. And I think if we and I think what you're seeing again in this current environment with the pandemic is. People are kind of unleashing that creativity uh, and, and we're kind of, you know, us old people are kind of <laughs> catch, catching up. But but I, I think we could use a lot more of that. And I think they could have a meaningful contribution in the church if we if we're willing to step aside and let them lead now and not just presume that they're going to show up, you know, 20 years from now when it's when it's time for them to lead. That's right. That's right. Well, as we close. Um, and we, we look ahead, we obviously love our church and, and, and just cherish the parish. And um, as we, we look ahead, what, what's your hope for parish life and church? Yeah, I, um, that's a good question. I, I 
I would tell anybody who's listening, you know, and particularly now that there is no question in my mind from what I see and, and where I go that, that the parish landscape is going to look different in the United States in the next you know, decade or so. I think some of that, some of those shifts and trend lines that we talked about are, are going to happen. Uh, we can't, I mean, it's life. We can't, we can't stop all of them. And so I guess what's, what I hope for the church is what the church has already outlined, which is, uh, which I always find interesting, um, is that in canon law, the parish and the church building aren't connected. They're two separate things. Uh, the, the church building is, is one chapter of canon law, and the parish is a whole nother because the parish is the people. The parish is the community. And so um, what, what I hope for the church is that we really really rally around our parishes, um, regardless of what might have to happen with some of our church buildings. And as beautiful and wonderful uh, places, sacred places as they are, I think our emphasis really needs to be on who we are to each other and who we are in the Lord. And so I think if we're, if we're spending all of our time worrying about the temporal, what happens to our building, what time is the schedule, you know, uh, this building, that building, that that facility need, whatever. I, I think we're missing the opportunity to invest in our community, in our culture, in our prayer life, uh, in our invitations, um, and in, you know, in our next generation. And so, so my hope is that we we really understand the wisdom of the church in saying the parish is the community of people, and and how we care for each other, um, and how we invite others to be a part of that community. If, if that if that is about from this this current crisis of just being in relationship with each other and how much we need it and appreciate it, I think we'll be we'll be a much stronger church and we'll have much stronger parishes uh, that will be able to sustain those church buildings in the future. Mm. Well, I can't thank you enough for this conversation and for all of your work. And we will make sure that we get out the website address and and just know that that um, we're thinking about you and your young family. Um, and as we walk into Holy Week and, and then the Easter season beyond that, um, we, we are all together, even though we're apart. And um, thank you for all your gifts, Dan. Well, Karen, thank you. And thanks for the work of the center. I mean, I love what you guys put out. It's always thought-provoking articles. I was honored to be included in, in one of the issues of the magazine, but I, I'm just grateful to get it and grateful for the thought leadership that you're putting out there. So honored to, to be a part of it and also, uh, you know, send the prayers right back to you and your team uh, for a blessed uh, Holy Week at home. Well, and, and funny that you would say the magazine because our next issue, which is coming out um, in April, is on the parish. So, awesome. yeah. Thanks. I look forward to reading it. <laughs> <laughs> well, happy Easter. Happy Easter, Karen. Thank you. Thank you. God bless. For more Catholic faith resources, Follow us at bc.edu backslash c21 or via Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. <laughs>